You're listening to the Forest School Podcast with Lewis Ames and Gemma Sutherland. Maybe, maybe we'll listen. Love is rock. You just keep saying things. <laughs> Damn it! Would you like to explain what oh, we're doing here? What are we doing here? We are. This is the podcast. Um, if we named our podcast differently, I would name this one like Doom. the the cursed podcast. The podcast that the universe does. Guys, the universe doesn't want this information to get out. Definitely we, doesn't. But why? The fir- information. The first one didn't record. No, the first, the first one, one was me, and I didn't. The first no, we one found did what it was. record. The first one did record, but then we were like, oh, it didn't record. Oh no, it did. Okay, that was like the introduction. Yeah, we paused it, then we were like, right, let's do that, the yeah. actual book yeah. bit of the podcast. And it, then we talked for about 90 minutes. Oh my God, it was the best, listeners, you just have to believe, it was the best pos- podcast we've ever, ever done. Yeah. It's absolutely flipping incredible. It was Goodbye. profound. It was great. It was great. And then it didn't record. And then it didn't record, because... And then... Yeah. And then... But that we, one was on me. Yeah. Because there's something wrong with our equipment. And but. then we tried to do it over Zoom, and then I was downstairs in my living room, and then my family decided that they really, really needed the living room, and they had to pause it quite a few times to go, oh, but no, please go over the living room, this is where the Wi-Fi is the best. So then I moved, and then it was fine, we started again, and then the dog was just barking incessantly, <laughs> so I was like, just let me pause to go and sort out the dog, and then my family just were like, no, you're not podcasting now, yeah. so... The universe yeah. said no. And to, to be fair, people who have listened to enough episodes of this are going to know that it's hard enough for us to stay on a point when At we're not doing time. anything else. Yeah. So to try and keep going back to what we're saying mm. or to remember anything we've just... Like, we probably fixed the education system in, in that first one. Mm. We probably fixed it. I think so. We were like those people that just didn't write it. That, you know, like we got really... You know, had just like, ah, oh, the world, it all makes... And we just... I know. Haven't got it. And even this morning, we were about to record outside in our like kitcheny bit in the woods, and then it started to rain. Just as we were like, yeah, let's let's pod. We're let's ready. Pod. And then the rain came, and it made a horrible noise on the roof. So now we're in the cabin. So if anything happens in the cabin now, like what could happen? It could catch fire. It could catch fire. Fingers crossed. Struck by lightning. Um, infestation might, of rodents and squirrels. And it might get blown over. Blah. Yeah. Um, massive branch one of us might spontaneously explode what do you want me to do if you spontaneously explode um, if you spontaneously go <laughs> in front of me cook something really good just throw all this stuff from behind me just cook, cook like the best pancakes on the on the flames uh, yeah but you know when a bit of ash gets in the food just yeah what do you do when that happens just well no anyway. yeah but if it's you oh. if the ashes I don't want to eat you don't want to eat my ashes why <laughs> That's in my will. Where do you want ashes scattered in Lewis's dinner? <laughs> just to end a decade of veganism yeah. real well. Just eat that. But is it still meat if it's ash? I don't think it is. Isn't there a thing? This is. I'm well done. We've gone off topic. Isn't there a thing that like ashes? Uh, there's no part of a human that can actually turn into ashes. Like it all genuinely combusts. And they did. They do what? like these occasional studies where they're like. We got someone's pot of their grandma's mm. ashes and it had four different types of DNA in it and a bit of dog. And like, it's just like, there's no way to like clean oh. one, clean yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. thingy, yeah. A, you know, what is it, campfire, enough mm. that you can go, that's just your, it, it's just, anyway. Random bits. Wood lice, centipedes, 
Everything. All of this. Dust. Yeah. Gut biomes. But you don't really care though, you dad, do you? No, but the people who've got a box that and they think it's you. I don't maybe care. That's, okay. I wouldn't care. You wouldn't care. Mm -hmm. It's okay. the ceremony of it, isn't it? Applications for forest school training are now open at childrenoftheforest.com. Check out the podcast links for more details. Anyhow, right, okay. Right, I'm on it now. The book, because... The book that we're talking about today, for the fifth time, is <laughs> the Declarative Language Handbook. I can't believe we're doing this all again. No, this is the last time I'm going to say this. From yeah, now okay, on. this is fine. This is, this is the final performance. I'm excited. I'm going to bring you roses at the end. Oh, yes. Everything else has been a matinee. Using a thoughtful language style to help kids with social learning challenges feel competent, connected and understood by Linda K. Murphy. It's all right, I'm recording it on this phone as well. Yes. So if that one breaks, that it's one. It's not going to. Yeah. Yeah, so I was recommended this book by uh, Sam Harris, who near to us, they're based in Exeter, um, Biznet, which stands as B-I-S-Net, mm -hmm. which stands for Behaviour and Inclusion Support Network. Um, and they're really, really good, and they run lots of courses, and now you can do them all on Zoom. So even if you don't live in Devon, you should be able to access their stuff, and it's really good. Um, so I've done a few courses with them, and um, this book came up as a useful resource. Um, and it isn't necessarily just sort of recommended for children and young people who are autistic, although that is It doesn't covered. say... Well... It is... I like the way, you know, in the subheading, yeah. help kids with social learning challenges. That's what I was going to say. I don't know that they necessarily... Do they mention autism in it? Because it, I, I was reading the whole know. thing going like, oh, this is interesting that someone's written it intentionally. I'm, I'm guessing if it's not in there, it's got to be intentional to go. I'm not going to use that term. Well, it's a bit like explosive child, isn't it? That it's not really about diagnoses because... That's okay, one factor that can yeah. be in lots of different diagnoses. Exactly. And you've got a diagnosis. Yeah. And then what? then you need some strategies to be able to help those young people. Yeah. So, And you get, you know, and because all this stuff is, uh, you know, I use the term you like, spectrumy or uh, constellations, there are people who are not in any of those mm. categories that might be identified by a Senko, but have social yeah. challenges. Well, that, and that's the thing, like, especially at the moment, like, oh, we yeah. all really have social learning challenges because we've all been in lockdown and not been with people other than our family for months on end. So right mm. now... Basically, every child that is... You lose sense of what's appropriate. You start talking about how you want someone to eat your ashes. Exactly. Because you've gone insane <laughs> in isolation. Uh, yes. So, yeah, yeah children haven't the... been in any kind of setting or lots of, you know, not every child, some children have. But um, even if even the kids that have been in settings have been in settings with a gabillion kids. They've been yeah. in a setting with a few children. Um and maybe the kind of rules and the structure of the day has been different and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and all the stuff that happens outside of school, which should be the majority of social interaction, you know, all the after, you know, after school clubs or birthday parties and all social events have been missing. Yeah, completely. Um, but there's a recent book, isn't it? It, it is. It is 2020. And um, she, the author, is... Um, a relationship development intervention RDI consultant and declarative language sort of came up in her training to become one of those consultants and then she realized there was no handbook for it so she decided to write one and I sort of try to summarize 
what she says declarative useful is uh, declarative language is useful for. Mm-hmm. So in kind of my own word summary um, as a bullet point, so declarative language, using it, declarative language with children who have social lang- learning challenges, first of all, doesn't activate the fight, flight, freeze and fawn response, which lots of people I didn't know what with. I Well, I knew about fight and flight and then I guess if you if I had thought about it, I would have been like, oh, yeah, I'm aware of freeze. Fawn, I've not come across. Yeah. Um, but you have a good explanation of it. Yeah, so fawning would be a response. So the equivalent... So if we understand the kind of fight, flight, freeze as being a real... A, not just like an anxiety-inducing situation, but a situation which uh, sort of activates that really primal that bit of your brain. That your brain, yeah. That is like, I am in extreme peril. How am I going to do that? How am I going to deal with mm. it? What, am I, what, do I, what systems do I need to shut down? And yeah. how do I need to cope? So, uh, yeah running away, fighting the danger, all of those kind of like really primal reactions. But fawning would equate to you're in a situation where you're in a cage with a very hungry tiger mm. and either you punch that tiger in the face or you try <laughs> and run away and escape. Or you stand completely still. Or you stand completely still and don't arouse its attention. Yeah. Or you rootle around and find a juicy steak and go, here you go, tiger, here's a lovely steak. Don't eat me because look at the lovely steak, yeah. little tiger, it's so nice. Um, and you just do whatever it takes to make that danger calm itself down and not kill mm. you, um, which completely makes sense. And maybe is we were talking about how it might be harder to spot if you are working with young people and that they're using the fawning response a lot. But I kind of thought that it's very similar. It could be seen as very similar to masking. So yeah, yeah. If you're describing um, sort of masking behaviour, where it's those children who are fine in school absolutely mm. fine with me and yeah. then get home and have an absolute explosion because they've been masking all day and it's been taking all of their energy to do so so whether you could see fawning as being part of that in terms of like yep yeah, i'm not going to be well, i'm not going to get on that behavior chart and i'm just going to do oh you want me to write three paragraphs by the end of 10 minutes that's absolutely yeah, fine yeah, yeah. i am going to write three and not just paragraphs but perfect paragraphs because Heaven forfend, I raise any and, kind And with of the, like, precision that you would write it if a tiger was stalking you. But, you know, that nerve and, yeah. like, I won't make a mistake. There's two bits to it, though, isn't there? Because I think there's, there's one part which is realising that those responses now don't just come to physical threats and yeah. risks. So um, acknowledging that you can have a fight-flight, freeze, fawn response to a social risk mm. is one sort of... Uh, 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 like an academic jump, a, the- a theoretical jump that you have to make in your brain. Um, because, as we all know, your body doesn't know the difference between like a shitty email and a tiger. Yeah. Your body still goes like, fucking run! Yeah. Um, which is like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you don't run, and then yeah. your heart rate goes up, and then at the end of the day, you've had 15 emails, and you're like, why is my blood pressure so high? Mm. Um, but the other bit is like, I think it'd be really hard for... Educators who aren't very who aren't used to reflecting, or don't have the time, to or don't have the time to reflect. All the caveats yeah. in the world, right? I, I'm not bashing mm-hmm. these people, um, but to reflect that you might be a threat to children is something that you just have to. Is sometimes is a hard thing to acknowledge if you've worked really hard and your whole thing is like, I'm a very uh, open teacher. I'm, a, I'm a, my play group everybody can come to me and do whatever mm. and sometimes you have to go through nothing you have done or not done or can ever do that child learner mm. 
mm-hmm. whatever, sees you as a risk. Your your requests, your presence mm-hmm. is a social threat to them. Yeah. And you can't change it. And you can't just be like, yes, but I smile and I knelt down. Like, no, you're still a threat mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. So then, and that's quite hard to kind of go like, oh. It is. I want to talk about like authority at the end. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So we'll probably come back to that. Yeah. But Sorry, like, can I do yeah, so, you on the No, not at all. No, because I think that was um, important to talk about. But um, another reason why it's useful is that it gives opportunities for independent problem solving skills, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, gives opportunities for visual referencing, which we'll also talk about in a minute. Empowers children. Um, and reveals skills and thought processes which are normally hidden. Uh, for example, talking through your own thought process when you make a mistake or you face a problem. Mm. So declarative language would be... The opposite of declarative language is imperative language. So sit down, everyone. It's lunchtime. Yeah. That is not declarative language. That is imperative language. Uh, declarative language would be... Can you can you turn that, please, from imperative into declarative? Oh, sorry, you're asking me. Um... Like, it's just a statement of, like, mm. it's the end of break. Yeah. And kind of letting that... It's almost like letting the second half of the sentence go unsaid. Mm-hmm. It's just... But not uh, not unsaid. You're hoping that it happens in the learner's heads. Exactly. And so that's the unseen processing yeah. bit, isn't it? And the empowering bit. Yeah. So um, another really good example in here is... Um, so grandma is arriving. You mm-hmm. and the child is at home. Grandma is arriving. And imperative language is, say hello to grandma. So for a lot of people, not just children, adults, um, that any kind of demand, mm-hmm. because of the way the brain is wired... Because there's a right or wrong. ...is seen as a it's an anxiety-inducing thing. Even a demand that you might say is really pleasant, like, yeah. um, come on, get your shoes on, we're going to the shop to buy sweets. Mm-hmm. You know, you might go, well, what's, where's the anxiety-inducing element of that? Yeah, you know, it's a great sweets. thing. It's like, no, you have made a request that has to be complied with. You're making a demand on that person. And for Mm. some people's brains, that is incredibly unpleasant, painful, anxiety-inducing, awful. Mm. Um, So say hello to grandma, you know, can be an incredibly violent thing to say to somebody. Mm. The opposite is, oh, grandma's here, Mm. which then doesn't activate the fight, flight, freeze, fawn response because... You can just not react to that if you want. You yeah. can just go, it's just a statement of fact. It's just a true thing. Um, it's empowering the child to then make their own decision about how they react to that statement. So or they to can... take or to take social cues from what other people are doing. Yes, that's the other yep. one, isn't it? It's just going yep. like grandma's here. If your siblings all go and do something, yeah, you've got a choice, but also you can infer yeah. from what they're doing. Well, that's the visual referencing element of it, isn't it? Yeah. It's like drawing somebody's attention to something. Um, in a kind of non-violent way, you haven't got a specific expectation, um, but you are, especially if they're very deep into something and mm. may not have um, the ability or, you know, the, the process at the moment of being able to notice themselves. Um, yeah, and then empowering them to make their own choice about how they how they respond to that. Mm. Yeah. We were talking um, in one of the many other rehearsals of this podcast about uh, the fawn response and the de- like, the demand mm-hmm. stuff, and saying that it would be, uh, in some ways, easier for us to spot fawning in a child-led setting mm-hmm. because we would quite p- quickly, I think, notice like, oh, that person's not contributing anything 
to the play or like that person's doing whatever you know the person they're next to is is telling them in that game mm. and just checking in and going like you sure you you know you happy doing that which we do regularly mm. and if you in a way that you might not notice it in a sit at your desks you know sit at yeah. your desks doing whatever can very quickly the fawning response can become um like not a problem for me from a, from a teaching point of view, that that child's not a problem for me. They're not disruptive. Mm. They they always hand in the right amount of stuff. And even, kind of, I'm just thinking actually about about a child that I know really well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about like comments that the teacher said. You know, in the end of year reports, so and so is just such a joy to have around. They are always so helpful. They always really help me to sort out the classroom. Oh yeah, that weird thing of like. Can I sharpen the pencils? Exactly. Can I clean the board? Can I do the thing? Exactly. Oh man. I've just had a moment about that, and it's like, and all these things like you could, you know, without kind of being kind of diagnostic about a bloody everything. Pew 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 pew. Like, Shooting you know, diagnoses around the room. Yeah. Um, you get a diagnosis. Exactly. You get a diagnosis. <laughs> you get a diagnosis. But that's the thing about learning about like neurodiversity is that then you start like seeing it everywhere and like you know and you know. Well, that's why, the, like we said at the start of this book is like they're just traits yeah they don't they're not like yeah. x means what you know it's just like all oh, right that's a thing some people and, have yeah, that thing completely. some people do that thing yeah and then you know to a greater or lesser extent day by day moment to moment and but having an awareness of it even if it means that sometimes you maybe go off in the deep end and go like oh my god it's everything yeah. which is where i am right now um it's surely better than having no flipping awareness at all and going like but well i i talked before um about one of the things that I want to do with my personal practice, mm. and pedagogy, all these things, is like to have everything that I do be intentional mm-hmm. and, and, and to try and not pick myself up, you know, to, to just pick apart stuff that I'm doing and going, I don't want anything to be subconscious because we've talked before about when you go into like a school and uh, if you're doing like work for a school and then quite early on you sometimes if you're early on in your practice you get that feeling of like oh, i'm not doing anything i'm not providing yes. anything i'm not i'm not doing anything you have to de-school yourself you have to de-school yourself um but also be ready to kind of go well actually what my pedagogy is comes out in every facial expression mm-hmm. in every little comment that i make in every question i do or don't ask in terms of where I stand, that is part of my pedigree. All these Absolutely. things, I want to be yeah. intentional. So I don't want to go like, and I found myself standing right next to a child. No, I just thought, I want to be like, I was stood there because I'd thought about it and I'd unpicked all these things. Um, and the imperative language thing is something that mm. you can you can just fall into oh, yeah. completely unconsciously. Mm. And because in lots of education settings, it doesn't present a problem. Yeah. Uh, and because you can quite quickly flip the problem away from yourself oh, and go, oh, this... well, it's not me. Yeah. Like, it's not me. My pedagogy, my style of teaching, isn't yeah. working. It's like they don't, they don't like being told what to do. They, yeah. they, you know, they've got a problem. Yeah, yeah. And I can't deal with it. It's beyond my remit. You know, it's Which, fine. Um, you know. Yeah, this book kind of links with the explosive child and mm-hmm. what was one the, to the ross green books we did podcasts on them oh whole brain child uh, oh no oh yes i know yes. i know the ones you mean sorry those ones so you read the explosive one that was more child school based and, and i read the more parenting yes. one is it lost in school lost at school Something like that yeah um this stuff doesn't stay in our heads people 
No, but we know the pr the, the, the the content does the yes. names don't. Yes, so really ties into. So if you've read that, this is like a really good companion book. As is, um, so the nonviolent communication, mm -hmm. Marshall Rosenberg stuff really links in with this, um, and Alfie Cohn as well. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of following on from what you've said, there's an example in Explosive Child or the one that you read about mm. a child who has a problem lining up. So the explosive yes. child be like yes, lagging skills or like, you know, getting, so having a conversation with the child where instead of just seeing the behaviour and going, oh my God, that kid is always like punching people in the line when they have to mm. line up to go back into class. Mm. Um, you really get to the bottom of like, but what is it that is causing that behaviour rather than that child has a behaviour problem and it's sorting out. It's like, well, you know, you have yeah. to get to the bottom. You are doing something. You are in that puzzle. Yeah, like you just said, you know, you've got to be intentional because it, it might not be your fault, yeah. but you have... Uh, but if it's intentional, you you consider it to be something that you can then change. Yes. If it's unintentional, yeah. that's, you're doing it just because. You, that's you know, that's how I, you know, that's yeah. how I speak to kids or whatever. Then mm. then you're not able to change it. You're mm. not able to go like, oh, this is the thing that's not working. You know, yeah. if you listed out the mm. components of an interaction, mm. anything un subconscious. Mm wouldn't be on that list mm. so then you wouldn't think to fix it so then it, and yeah, it just yeah, yeah. sort of spirals that way doesn't it so like yeah. i think this book has been another puzzle piece for me Definitely. in terms of like just chipping away at anything that i do unintentionally yes definitely so like that example of the child in the line who's like hitting out and then the explosive child they give that example and they have the um discussion and find out that that child um it being stepped, it's like they get they get jostled in the yeah, line. Yeah, somebody steps on my shoes or yeah. something like that. I would get pushed into, and I really don't like that. I don't like people like hitting my body. Mm. Um, and so there's a sensory issue going on there. So you can you can remedy that. Mm. And they talk about similar kind of situations in this book where they say instead of line up now, it's the end of thing. It's like oh, I see everybody's lining up over there. And then it gives the child the kind of opportunity to go and line up and that you might help them to line up in a way that suits them. Either it's mm. at the back so that they're not getting jostled or at the front or slightly after everybody else. Do you know what I mean? It's kind yeah. of that like... Well, it ties, it ties really, really closely into the Alfie Cohn stuff. Uh, no, not the Alfie Cohn stuff. Into the... Uh, slight, yeah, like you said, Alfie Cohn and um, Marshall Rosenberg stuff. In that... Similar to, similarly to saying everybody's lining up, and that's just a statement you mm. can do with that what you want. That's also how a lot of our behaviour management works in terms of that person has a sad face, mm. right? You yes. do with that information, mm. not do with it what you want, because eventually you know you will go, you're, yes, you're, this person isn't getting looked after. We'll step in and do whatever. But for the most part, just going, just helping to kind of verbalise and narrate the world mm. is the same as going everybody's lining up mm. as that person looks very unhappy. Yes. And letting that, like, yeah. like we said, letting that second bit happen yeah. internally so that eventually the second bit doesn't, mm. the first bit almost doesn't need saying yeah. because it just becomes yeah, yeah. internal. Yeah. Well, kind of, should we move on yeah. to like, so the visual referencing instead of eye contact. So she's talking in here about... Um, I can't talk about eye contact without... I'm going to look out the window. Yeah, Whenever you talk it. about eye contact, it becomes, not you personally, yeah. one talks about eye contact. Yeah. Become very aware of it. So a lot of people, if, you, if you're talking about like autistic people, 
eye contact will often come up as a kind of stereotypical autistic trait that autistic people find eye contact really hard. And it's like, okay, well, whether or not you agree with that statement, um, (laughs) then (laughs) what she's kind of like, she's sort of, um, sort of examining that and going, but is it actually eye contact that is useful? And she's saying, well, no, it isn't actually eye contact that's useful. It's visual referencing. That is the skill that you're trying to support anybody with. So it's the ability, like we just said, to notice things that are happening in the world, whether it's so-and-so's got a sad face or everyone's lining up for lunch now, um, and then being able to um, process that information and then adapt your behaviour accordingly um, in a way that is both socially acceptable and, you know, beneficial Mm. to you, you know. Um, So she's sort of saying, we need to stop asking young people to look at me you know, that whole thing of like, oh, look at me, yeah. look at me, look eyes me. on me, eyes all of that me. thing. It's like, Fingers on lips. that's a demand that's really violent. That, you know, somebody, it's not, you don't actually need somebody to meet mm. your eye in order for a good I thing have a, re- I have happen. a thought that's just crystallised. What's that? Do you think that this, that they tie together in that, so the, the, the bit that we're kind of leading to is talking about saying, um, so like I was teaching somebody, uh, some knots the other day mm-hmm. and uh, I found myself saying can you see my hands because mm-hmm. they weren't looking at my hands didn't need them to look at my face I needed mm. them to see where my hands were going or like mm. you know say to my son all the time like mm. can you see just left of that thing just mm. over here because because and here's the crystallization I'm not the important bit mm. but in those settings where the person who's saying look at me mm their mentality is already that they are the important person in the conversation. Mm. So it follows that they would think, this child needs to look at me. Well, that, that goes hand in hand with the, the Gavin Williamson speech about the expert in the front of the, you know, the front of the class imparting yeah. information into people's brains. It's like, if you have that view of education, then you are going to go along that, look at me because I am the important thing. Mm. And watching my mouth and hearing my words and embedding them into your tiny but brain. do you think it's a forest school thing to kind of reflect that as the leader you're very rarely the important thing mm. so for for most of what we do at forest school not i don't want the kids to look at me because mm. i love the attention my ego <laughs> Maha. um but you know most of the time i think we are going we're not the important bit here mm. can you see so and so is sad mm. can, you know i'm not going look at me you're going to get a detention if you don't stop what you're doing yeah. right now we're going that's the important thing mm. focus on that thing. and i think that comes more naturally at forest school mm or the birds are over there or the mud kitchen's that way or yeah watch out the swings there yes yes not going whereas yeah. in a classroom i think you are more inclined to yeah eyes on me here yeah, yeah. here's the information stop it's oh no it's snowing crap stop looking out the window at the snow <laughs> stop i'll drop the blinds <laughs> shut out shut out the thing to the point where teachers will uh stand in front of a whiteboard uh, do you remember did, did you were you there when they um they had to like there's like a thing you're not allowed to stand in front of the projectors for more than 20 minutes because yeah. when the projectors were all yeah. up on the yeah. ceilings and then they would do the thing and then they would screensaver blue and teachers weren't like turning them off or moving out of the way they were just yeah. teaching in front of it with like this weird blue man group look yeah. um and it there was like people's eyes up really because you're just standing because teachers you're going, eyes, or teacher's eyes. eyes. Right. because you're staring into this blue bowl yeah. for however long a day wow. um i think that's right that might be absolute horseshit but I know there was a thing where I was told on my teaching mm. course, don't, like, either turn it off or stand to the side. Mm. Sorry, I was just thinking about where kids look and teachers 
teachers get a raw deal, man. Like oh, I really do. Deafness, deafness was a thing, especially like I, my, when I was on my teacher training, teaching drama in inner London secondary schools, and my teacher trainer was deaf in one ear mm. from teaching drama in inner <laughs> London secondary school because the the noise on the, and the noise level that you just accept as normal oh, yeah. because you're going okay, cool guys we'll get into groups and do this thing and like make up this thing and you've got people acting out like the most insane kind of like jungle attack ah, like it's 24 hours a day just yeah. day after day after day till you're deaf like brilliant anyway back to the book oh yeah so moving by beyond eye contact uh chapter three so the examples she gives are for example to kind of encourage visual visual referencing um, instead of saying, like she gives an example of her kids playing with Lego and then um, one of her children like rolling all over the Lego pieces. And oh, he's like the, sat on the Lego, isn't he? Yeah, for whatever reason he needs to get off of there. So instead of saying, move back or get off the Lego, which I'm sure we've all said to our own children. Move back, get off the Lego. <laughs> it's the end of the day. Get off the Lego. Put your pajamas on. Oh, the way you said it sounded like a SWAT team kicking the door. <laughs> Move back! Get off the Lego! <laughs> um, so she says, Your body's on top of the pieces. And then just waits. And then quite a few seconds of like the kid going, huh? Find out about CPD courses at childrenoftheforest.com. Check out the podcast links for more details. And she says that that, that oh, noise, the huh. Yeah, huh? Yeah. that's great. If you hear a huh, then it it's means something going. is happening in the brain to go then, okay, I'm out of whatever moment I was in. Now I'm looking at my body. Now I'm looking where my body is in space. And then I have to make a decision about what I do next. Yeah. And it take, and she, in the same way as um, you might talk about uh, allowing time after you've asked a question, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about in a minute. Oh, and you yeah. know when you've asked a question and you feel like half an hour has gone past before anyone speaks. Yeah. In fact, it's like half a second. She says, like, give time. So then, um, like, yeah, problem solving, etc. cetera. Um, and, yeah, she talks about other examples of visual referencing in a playground. With She's with a child who has social learning challenges, um, who spends a lot of time in the playground by themselves. And she uses visual referencing with this child to say, and says, I wonder what the other kids are doing. Hmm. And so the, the child won't feel pressure to do anything specific that would create worry or anxiety, and they have space to simply scan the playground with you, and then you can guide further as needed. You can say, I see them right over by the sandbox. Then you can take the opportunity to help the child understand what they're seeing. It looks like they're playing at the sandbox. I can see them filling up a dump truck with sand and pouring it into a bucket. You are guiding the child to visually reference, helping them know where to look, and then helping them understand or derive meaning from what they are seeing, all using declarative statements. Then you can take it a step further if you want and say, I wonder if you'd like to join them. So it's just an invitation. If they say no or don't respond, that's fine. But it's just a... I'm just wondering whether it... uh, Sorry, I I was listening to you. I was also going in my head about... uh, Well, two parts. One is saying that... Because I think the initial way that you might rephrase that, it would be to get a child's attention and then to say, what are the other children doing? Mm. Which... On the surface, it sounds like you're doing the, the declarative language, but it isn't it's questions. Be- because it's questions. And, and I think that's worth kind of highlighting that, that Definitely. it's not about saying what are the other children doing. It, it has to be a statement of yeah. I wonder. Well, X. She's, and, she's got a whole know. chapter on the nuts and bolts 
Um, and the learning I took away from that really was like questions are not declarative. Mm. They are imperative language. Um, and it made me reflect on my teacher training, which, you know, questions were talked about so well, we said, didn't much. We, and like even early in forest school, actually. Even in forest school, yeah. there was a thing doing around the other day about types of questions. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's really useful. Um, so I'm not saying that, like, questions are evil and shouldn't exist. But this book is kind of saying overloading children with questions well, all the time is, like, it's demanding an answer. It's demanding some kind of action. And if you're really looking at, like, a child-led setting... Mm. Um, so she gives examples like you know what should you do or what are you missing what do you need all those yeah. kind of questions where as a practitioner you might think those are great questions like and when I'm we really were running the kindergarten the that's what we were really oh, you know because we thought Ofsted was yeah. looming and you just go oh, that's how I'll that's further learning I'm yeah, further I'll further learning it with by... this stuff I'll, I'll further yeah. it with questions I think I've told you the story about um, when I was doing my teacher training and somebody was talking to me about uh, guided reading yes. and this thing of um, you know you set a group it's 15 minutes after lunch, whatever. You work with one group and the other groups read. Um, and then, you know, you sit down with the group and after they've read. Or e- or even just... To, so you can... E- one way of doing this is that you do it verbally, where you sit down and you kind of are supposed to ask these questions of like, oh, who's the main character? And why do you think Sam is feeling sad about this? Or like, what is Sophie missing? And you, um, or those written comprehension questions that are like, describe the three main... You know, yeah. um, and the person that was on, I did this, and it wasn't my teacher training, it was a CPD thing. Um, and he just went, if you were sat in the lounge reading a book and your partner came up to you and asked you even one of those questions, you'd probably tell them to fuck off. Mm. Like if you were halfway through a book and you and your partner came up, who's the main character in that book you're reading? You'd be like, it's, it's, it's not an adult book, you wouldn't like it. Um, mm. And, you know, just like... It would just interrupt flow. Yeah. So if you have any concept of flow, you have to realise that questions are the opposite of flow. And especially in a classroom setting where you spend a hell of a lot of time trying to get kids into flow. You're like, oh, oh yeah. I just really want them to engage with the book and oh, just not get distracted by stuff. Well, we and s- then you get yeah. that moment of like, oh, everyone, everyone is really engaged. And then you think, shit, everyone's really quiet and they're just doing their own thing. I'm not doing anything. I need to ask some questions. And that's where it comes in, isn't it? And I that's where, like questions. we were saying at the start, what yeah. are you providing me to do for school? Yeah. We had a thing um, where it was getting towards the end of the day and we were going to do our gratitudes and somebody was reading a book here mm. and you, I think it must have been you. You had howled, which is the signal for everybody to come back and they didn't stop reading the book. Um, and I had the process in my head of going like hmm, that person's not stopped reading their book and I, I like I inhaled to to say like I was gonna all I was gonna do is Gemma's howled mm. um you know declarative great well mm. done me um but <laughs> but I realized that she knew what was going on mm. but it was just insane to be like really wish kids would re- you know everyone wants kids to read everyone mm. thinks it's so important but that we want them to do it in a way that means at the drop of a hat, they will stop. Yeah. You go, yeah, yeah, you need to get into flow, you need to do all these things you need to do, but, but only within the realm. When I want you to stop at anything, you should be mm. ready to do it. Yeah. Which is insane. It is insane. And then people go, well, you know, the alternative, you go, well, I gave them like a five-minute warning, or I gave them a two-minute, which for some kids is even more anxiety-inducing, oh because then you don't enjoy the last five minutes, because that. you're just going... <gasps> Five minutes. Yeah. Maybe five minutes isn't enough. Maybe one minute is enough. Mm. Maybe you know, just like when you get to the end of what you're doing. I know. But that and doesn't work another... when the school bell goes. 
Well, exactly. That's yeah. another like practitioner thing about yeah giving warnings. Like it's behavior management technique, isn't it? It's like mm. oh, this child always kicks off at this certain time. Have you tried? Have you tried giving them a warning or giving them a turn time or a countdown clock so that they know when you? Yeah. Can we create a character who is like this slightly patronising, um, like parenting? Uh, You've gone on a parenting course, huh? Have you been on a parenting? Yeah, that person. <laughs> that person. <laughs> what do you think this character's name is? Um, I don't know. I need some time to think about it. <laughs> um, the name Brenda immediately came into my head, and I was like, no, that's kind of sexist. Like. Probably a man. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving on. That's not sexist at all, is it? That's probably a man. It's probably. On. Get back to the book. Michael Gray. Get should just be a swear word. Gavin Williams. <laughs> Absolutely, Gavin. <laughs> Shall we talk about episodic memory? No, Social yes. competence. Yes. Okay, ah! chapter four. This is a side note. We put up um, bird feeders yesterday, and yeah. the one over there is half full already. Oh, wow. They have been going absolutely mental for it. It's been very enjoyable to watch. Because we did body. have them before, but they were far away from main camp, so... And they didn't get eaten get... there. No. But we've moved them to near the main camp, which you would think yeah. the wildlife would have gone, we steer clear of the main camp. Yeah. But no, they love it. And we get to enjoy them. Episodic right. memory. Episodic memory is what <laughs> Attention <we use> span. <laughs> <laughs> to recall memories or past experiences that are relevant in the here and now. Brain goes through its internal Rolodex system. To go, oh, I've been through a situation before, which we said again ties into the whole brain child when somebody gets has that like a traumatic, finishing the narrative thing. Yeah, traumatic experience gets stuck in that place, and you can help them by going. Yes, but then what happened in the end? It was all okay. We mm. put a plaster on your knee, and then someone made you laugh, and then it was you went off playing, and it was okay, or whatever. Um, so accepting that some learners have um, sort of lagging skills, I will use the sort of Ross Green sentence mm-hmm. there about um, with episodic memory. So you, as a practitioner, can help them to both create those memories and access mm-hmm. them. And there, this is the controversial bit. So. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so. So you can say like this is non-controversial. Um, a child is like freaking out about their homework, and you can say, "I remember last time you forgot your homework at school. We emailed your teacher, or I remember this happened before, and we did X Y Z. I remember this happened before. Well, this reminds me of a game we already know. This reminds me of something, and then so you're you're not telling them. No, this it's is declarative, like, blah, blah, blah. isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's like, I remember. Yeah, it's declarative, but it's also... Because um, this is like the game we played yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like declarative, but you're missing maybe asking them to access... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If you say, this reminds me of a game where we already know, and then if that doesn't work, then you can give more information. So it is mm. kind of inviting them to recall... Yeah. episodic memory um but the controversial thing um can i just before, yes. just before we get yes. to it because i think it's really so the episodic memory thing is about saying there are similarities between this situation and the, and the situation you've been in before yeah. and the really good example in this book is like going to a shopping um a supermarket in another country mm-hmm. and this author is saying that if you had no episodic memory the fact that anything is different 
mm-hmm. in this other supermarket would mean that you would completely freak out because you wouldn't have any frame of reference. Yeah. As it is, we're all already using our episodic memory to go, they have trolleys, like we have trolleys. Mm. They have aisles, like we have aisles. I probably pay with money, mm. like we probably pay. You know, mm-hmm. you're pulling all those things in already, but for children or learners that can't access their episodic mm-hmm. memory, they have no reference. Because this isn't the Tesco next to their house, yeah. this may as well be, you know, the the, uh, the Asda down the road may as well be a foreign country where everything's in a different, you know. And how anxiety-inducing is that? Terrifying. Yeah. So just so that's I, I really liked that as an example because then you apply it to, you know, we're playing a game, we're playing it like we did yesterday, mm. and if you haven't got the memory of what you did yesterday, or you haven't, or you need help accessing that, you yeah. need help to remind yourself, or that, you changed school, or yeah. you've you know, and you, and you haven't got the episodic memory to go. Uniforms are probably the same. Mm. This is probably the same. The teacher probably stands there like this, mm. or like you know, we're going to. Uh, a different forest school we're going out to forest school but we're going to go to a different place today mm. we're going to go we're going to cook it in this way we're going to check you know we're going to change a tiny thing mm. and that just wipes the slate mm. but sorry do the controversial one no yeah i was just gonna say something else um also i was just thinking about like if you're working with a young person who seems to have like repeated behaviors that you kind of think like oh i thought i thought we'd sorted that out mm. do you know what i mean like how come this is still a problem or how come there still yeah. seem to be like repeated every time this happens this happens it's like well if that child hasn't got enough help accessing their episodic memory then that might be why you see repeated patterns of behavior because it isn't mm. it hasn't been mem- like remembered in a way that's like oh it's okay it's going to be okay yeah. because last time so to use the example from before um one flipping it from what at the end of break let's say flipping it from what are the other children doing to i wonder what the other children are doing mm. is taking it to declarative mm. if you didn't get anything from there the accessing the episodic bit would mm. be then to no one in particular going mm. i remember yesterday when all the children lined up mm. um and you you stood behind yeah jake yeah and and just leaving it yeah, yeah. that's then going like mm. here's a bit of episodic memory yeah. and giving the learner a chance to go yeah maybe there's a thing like that today yes maybe i can do the same thing exactly um so she gives an example of kids fighting over who is going to go first would never happen unrealistic <laughs> there's a swing there's only one swing off that type here that is literally <laughs> when we do any design management of our wood, <laughs> woods yeah. when we're like we'll put this up everything we're like yeah. okay but we can't just have one yeah. Or, or this can't be or a single... what is the strategy going to be yeah. because there is only one of this thing and there yeah. can be only one. Um, <laughs> Take it down. Yeah, so that's our episodic memory working really well. Check us out. Yeah. You know, I remember good. last time this happened, this really upset so-and-so. So how can we, yeah, help with that? So um, the imperative language would focus on the challenging behaviour, the arguing, mm-hmm. trying to stop it. So stop arguing, no arguing, stop that. Um, be quiet or whatever. Whereas, or so, and or so making a decision, mm-hmm. coming in and going like, yeah. you're going today, Yeah. you're doing whatever. Yeah. So using declarative language to encourage the kids to recall shared memories of their play. For example, you could say, I remember Johnny went first when we played the last game, so I'm thinking it would be most fair to let David go first this time. You can then also plant seeds for future retrieval. Let's remember together that when we start another game, it will be Johnny's turn to go first again. So the controversial thing we spoke about was that the adult there is kind of solving the situation the f- we said the first uh, 
I think the first half is good. I remember last time mm-hmm. that, oh, I forget the name, mm-hmm. Johnny went first. Um, I think if you'd stop the example there, mm. perfect. Mm. But we, it's that thing of like, like I was saying, acknowledging that everything you want to do, or I want to do is intentional, also comes, and like we talked at the start about reflecting that I might be a threat. Mm. Not, you know, people might perceive me as a threat. Children might perceive me as a threat. Um, comes this idea that like, when you, in a school setting or an authoritative setting, one wonder things i'm using air quotes wonder things out loud that is just going to get interpreted as a thing like mm. you know like i wonder if you could share it with sophie mm. with, with like extreme eye contact mm. is the same as going fucking share it yeah yeah fucking yeah. share it because you're three times the size of most kids mm. not you personally yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one is bigger than kids you're already in a position where you have more power than them you have to be mindful i think that anything you pose has more weight mm. so try and if you want if you want to do that oh, yeah. to try and go i'm not going to suggest anything yeah which we got stuck on yeah last week and we both had the same basically the same conversation with the same group of children and it was one of the most difficult things because it was just there was a project and one, one person wanted to do something next one person wanted to do the other thing next and neither could see the other side and neither would back down, back down or capitulate, you know, compromise in, in it. But we weren't suggesting compromise. It was just about going like, oh, can you hear what they're saying? Or can you hear what they're saying? And because I knew if I said, actually, I'm on I'm on this team, hmm. or, hey, here's some facts that kind and of It's almost it like up. they were looking at us to do that. So, yeah. you know, they they were able to kind of express that they needed help. Mm. Um, and it was getting quite heated. So I went in first, didn't I? And I was like... Um, and I caught the side and I just went like, I'm just leaving. Let's hear, <laughs> let's hear this. And, then, and okay. And it got to a point where I did have to um, intervene by uh, by saying, I wonder if it might be better for you each to talk to me rather than to yeah. each other. Because every time they were kind of addressing each other with their ideas, then that was when it kind of escalated and got really heated and there was extreme eye Well, that's that thing about the, the, the visual referencing, mm-hmm. where, like, there can be negative visual referencing, where if you're trying to make your point, but the person that you're looking at is rolling their eyes, is yes. doing whatever, then you lose track of what you're saying. And that's what happened. That because was what you're happening. like... Fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you change your tone of voice when you're talking to me? It's like, okay, well, let's, let's remove that element, yeah. the emotional element there. But if you address me and I and I reflectively listen and go, oh, okay, so so and so thinks that blah 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 blah. Um, and then there was one person on the outskirts who wasn't saying anything but had been involved in the project. Mm. And so I was like, oh, I kind of want to be able to invite them to speak, but in a declarative way so that they don't feel the pressure that they have to. So mm. I just said, oh, I wonder if so and so has any ideas about what we should do. Um, turned out they probably did, but the kind of social um, sort of implications of vocalising their opinion at that so stage, were too, it, the stakes were too high. Um, so that was really challenging. And then, but yeah, just very, very aware, as you said, of if you if you stay the equivalent of, oh, I remember they went first last time, so maybe the fairest thing would be to do this. Like, yeah, you're going to solve the problem because they are going to go with what you suggest because they like you and respect you and you are the the adult um, in the situation. But then you are completely taking away the problem. Yeah, stripping the learning. Even if you phrase it in the most like, oh, you could do, you know, 
casual casual you could do this if you wanted to it's just and, my suggestion and some of those things we talked about like in um okay not to share they have the scripts at the back mm. but i think again what these this that book and this book are missing is some like stage directions mm-hmm. so like oh uh so in that scenario of the you know someone wants to go first just going oh i remember last time johnny went first and leave mm. right don't then stand there eye contact because that's mm. a lot of where you're like physically your presence is what then stops your words just being like an ethereal mm. idea in the air mm. the fact that you stand there and wait children are sort of programmed to then go they probably want a response to that don't they yeah, probably, yeah, you know yeah. um yeah which is yeah well, this leads on to yeah. the next chapter, which is all about appreciating different opinions. Um, so one significant social learning challenge for a lot of people being taking the perspective of others, which mm-hmm. is incredibly hard anyway oh, yeah. for all of us. And then if you've got social le- learning challenges, then that's just like next level, um, really hard. And she says, we don't want to force our views on kids. Instead, we want to create an environment where kids can lower their guard and feel safe to be curious about the thoughts, opinions and feelings of others. We must create a positive backdrop so that kids do not feel threatened when others have a different thought, opinion or feeling. We want them to discover at their own pace that opinions and perspectives are not right or wrong, they're just different. I just think that's so well put. Mm. I think that that is... You know those things where you're like, well, that should be what education is about. I just think yeah. that that is, you know, if you were going to invent some new pillars of education, mm. that is one of the pillars for me anyway, yeah. isn't it? Because that is how you, if you're thinking about like individual happiness and success on a real base level, um, you know, the success of a society in the mm. future, just, it's that, isn't it? Yeah. Don't you think? Because that's, that's tied up with kind of trying to reduce um, prejudice and hatred and it's also creating this positive backdrop so that people's ideas are valid and therefore you're sparking off all kind of creativity and invention and like it's okay to express this idea or this, this opinion it's not, I'm not going to be shot down in flames I can have a positive space to mm. air it and everyone will go oh okay without going no you idiot that was wrong yeah there is there is something there though that I just think is worth couching very slightly in that I've seen it as a really good webcomic um, but like if you want to have a completely tolerant community you cannot tolerate intolerance oh, yeah. so that idea because That's this is where it because it because it becomes spiraled into like everybody's views are need to be heard the only the, the person who is saying well my view is that your view shouldn't be heard that person doesn't get stopped mm. and then it becomes more people go well that you know mm. get access to that so yes i agree in theory i think there's some holes that just yeah. would need patching somewhere yeah. but um in an educational setting because i think what you know mostly this is like hey conversely to the traditional uh, you know williamson expert at the front mm. must be all knowing um you know that idea that like no everybody in this situation is lo- is particularly is learning mm. is supposed to be a space where you can get things a bit wrong yeah um yeah support the podcast today by becoming a patreon member at childrenoftheforest.com 
Check out the podcast links for more details. Yeah, so she's kind of talking about not only um, kind of commenting on different opinions mm. within the sort of learning community, but also facilitating a space where that's really addressed. So she's even given yeah. an example of like an opinion grid where they kind of um, actually document different children's responses to a particular smell. And it's like, right. oh, this is really like you're just sort of celebrating that and going, oh, that's really, you know, we, uh, we feel okay. differently that way. You think that smell is really disgusting, and so and so really loves it. That's really interesting, isn't it? Mm. And um, and you can do that as an adult and be honest. Like you were talking about being honest with your children about like your preferences of TV shows. Oh yeah, you know. I'm not going to pretend that I like Paw Patrol. Yeah, that's not. Like, yeah. You know. yeah, but that, it's fine that you watch it, but it's not yeah. my favourite. So I'm going to yeah. do something. And else. then they, you know, these things sort of follow up. But I, another one was that I, so my son is about to start a, um, like an after school club. He's not going to school, but he will be starting an after-school club, mm-hmm. um, which I was like trying to sort of highlight a few things that might be different. And one of the things I said is like, oh, well, um, obviously, especially this last year, Forest School has been the, the place that he's been, um, where there are children of all ages. Mm. And I was kind of going like, oh, those children might only have friends who are the same sort of age as them, but you've got lots of friends, haven't you, who are different ages or like call a spade a spade we've ended up with quite a feral looking group all the the people like genderless everybody that comes here basically has long hair that's not that's not sweet true but more a higher percentage more than usual it is just a group of long-haired feral children (laughs) which is just very interesting isn't it um but to uh and their children have then had some interesting conversations about like this person's got long hair but they're but they're a, I mean, I don't want to make it out like our group is some sort of utopia, but we've genuinely had children going like, but they're, they want to be a she, mm. but, but they've got this hair or like, mm. but they look more like a boy than me and I'm mm. a, a hair, you know. Yeah. They've had those conversations oh, yeah. Yeah. and in no way have any of the children yeah. got uptight about it or, no. you know, split into groups because of it or no. done anything. They've just kind of gone like, oh, all right, yeah. should we go run? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's some stuff at the back, isn't there? That you were saying when you get to the end of the book and you think you've yeah, like finished it. Yeah, you kind of think, oh yeah, I get this whole thing. Um, there's a like troubleshooting bit about like, oh, I seem to be using declarative language, but it's not really had any kind of effect. Um, so she's saying you want to check that you're giving enough processing time, attention. So is your child actually attending to your language at that time? And if not, what is, mm-hmm. you know, what could help them attend better? Uh, comprehension and habit, all things that you might want to look at and go, are all those things okay? Maybe they're not in the habit of listening to the, this sort of speaking style and they need time to adjust. So it's not like, oh, you suddenly start using this character yeah, language yeah. with your class or your kids or whatever. Don't expect it to be like an instant success necessarily. Um, and then she gives some practice bits so there is a word bank and helpful u- words to keep in mind. So um, like verbs like think, notice, hear, wonder, decide, I bet, feel, all those kind of things that you might want to start a declarative statement with. And then she gives you some things to turn into declarative, some imperatives mm. to turn into declaratives. And you get to that bit and you're like, that's really hard you realise you've not really done taken yeah, the book in you've yeah. got to go back to the beginning completely 
and it made me question like even things like we go wash your hands it's time for a snack I think that's been wash going your hands my head. it's time for a snack like which started at kindergarten yeah we just used to make up loads of funny little songs all the time and I think that is one of our ways of, of making and we do it uh, I was saying the other day when something is like <laughs> I think it's a coping mechanism both of us have is like potential tense situation turned into a song <laughs> yeah. and I do I do it with my wife as well yeah. because it's really hard to start a fight when what you're doing is walking around going fucking clean the kitchen <laughs> there's shit everywhere because you can't have a go at that person or it's doubly annoying it's oh, yeah. a real gamble completely oh completely like I used to have a um <laughs> it's time to get up, it's time to get up, it's time, it's time. Increase like a like you know how your phone alarm like increases in volume. Oh, yeah, just... And just do, 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 wake up. And that used to be my um my little wake up song until I realised that oh my god, that was not the answer. Oh, you, shut up, Mum, shut up. But in my head it was like, reduce the tension. Do not make it you know, imperative. Get up now. Turn it into a song. Like, no, it's still it's still imperative. Just because you're singing it doesn't mean that it's not imperative. <laughs> Is that in the book? That's one of the chapters, just because yeah. you're singing it. Just because you're singing it doesn't mean, you know. Can I tell you about my story? So when you singing your wake up, it's time to wake up song, has reminded yeah. me that I once went on a, um, uh, let's call it a like camping retreat mm. um, thing. And the, the chap that was running it had lots of ideas about what to do and it was quite guided and whatever. And one of his ideas was that he liked to, it was only one night, he liked to wake everybody up in the morning so that the day could kind of start at the right, mm. you know, to everybody collectively. Mm. So you don't end up with that weird camping thing where someone gets up at yeah. four because they've got kids and someone gets up at ten because mm. they've got work. Um, but his idea that was that he would, <laughs> he would wander sort of round the tents um, playing um, uh, Morning Has Broken on a violin. Right. I don't know if he'd played the violin before, but it didn't sound <laughs> oh, lovely. Like it. So lovely. it was like, as a ten. So like, oh. I was already awake, but for some people they go like, <laughs> good morning everyone. Delicious. <laughs> Delicious. Wow. But, I've woken up by a didgeridoo once at Glastonbury. That was actually quite pleasant. Oh. Just the noise of a didgeridoo. How close was it? Quite I close. What was like? <laughs> 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 no, it wasn't aggressive. It was oh. nice. It was a nice way. The best way to be woken up, of course, is for someone to just <laughs> put their pin your eyelids. You've never done that. Pull their eyelids open. Oh, no. so kind. That's horrendous. <laughs> Um, okay, I've got I've got a question for you. Yeah. I've got a big question. This book made me think of a question. The question was, it's a statement. Agree, disagree, discuss. The statement is, we should only, underlined, we should only use our position of authority to keep people, nature, and possessions safe. So I'm talking about in a, in a education-y, practitioner-y setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not in a life. And by safe, 
I mean emotionally safe, not just physically safe. This is safe. weird. You've already asked me this question. I've forgotten. I know. Do you know what it is? I've forgotten my answer, but it feels a bit like I'm running a train. Like I know the tracks are there and I feel like I'm going to answer exactly the same way, which is quite good. I Do you know probably why it was? Because your answer probably went... Waffle because that's what we do on this podcast. Oh. We just, I'm not saying about you, it's both of us. What is that noise? Nothing. Continue. <laughs> Gemma has like lost the plot. There's a weird noise. Ow. So um, go on, should we? Yes. Should we? Okay, no. and we're talking emotionally. You can just say yes or no, and then that'll be the end. No, because. That's what someone. That's what happens if someone asks you a yes or no question. You answer with every word that you know except yes okay. or no. Go for it. Oh, so I now remember that my thoughts were about a safety scenario, mm-hmm. like keeping someone safe, mm-hmm. um, and we talked about striking when the iron is cold, mm-hmm. and saying that. Let's take a, a car park for an example, where your child like runs off. And oh, you yeah, you need that, to use your authority. That is in the book. Is okay. when is it is it ever okay to be imperative? Okay, so the <laughs> first time it happens, yes, I think it is okay. If if you couldn't have foreseen the circumstances, and you couldn't have predicted that you know, because you know the world is fluid and changeable and whatever, and you end up in situations where you go, they just walked into the road and I needed to hold on to them or I needed to say no stop right but then I think the what you would then need to do if, if I was following my own sort of parenting education philosophy philosophy um would be then to have a conversation at a quieter time emotionally about you know oh so when that happens again could you know this might be the thing and this is how we keep safe so that hopefully there wouldn't have to be a second time that I needed to be imperative mm-hmm. because as we were getting towards, let's say it's the car park, as we're getting towards the car park, mm-hmm. my episodic memory would probably kick in and would probably go, I should remind them about that chat we had so that they their episodic memory can kick in mm-hmm. so that then you approach that situation. If you're repeatedly needing to be imperative, Something is going wrong. Mm. Whether that's something like the person that you're with doesn't have any access to their episodic memory or you don't have access to your episodic memory because that's just just as valid, isn't it? It's like if you constantly... um, Like if if your morning routine is crap every day and you arrive at work or you arrive at school like, God, this was awful... Then, like that is a that is a kind of thing to go. Maybe your episodic mm. episodic memory isn't mm. kicking in here. Yeah. That you try even even if it doesn't fix it to go. But I tried a different thing today yeah. because I was aware that it might happen again. Or I tried a different thing. So. I think yes. Yeah. I think yes, it is okay to be authoritative. In unforeseen situations. Yeah. What I was also thinking about with that question is that, so kind of going back to what you were saying about everything being intentional and what she's saying about, like, as adults, we don't want to force our opinions onto children Mm. and that we're doing that subconsciously all the time by being bigger, by being the grown-up, that the book made me more aware of times when it isn't necessarily a danger situation, 
it is just a situation where you can make a choice. You can be intentional about it mm. and facilitate something in as non-authoritative way as possible or not. Do you know what I mean? And that, like, if you're running a setting, mm-hmm. you have that choice about how much authority in inverted commas you have. So, yeah. And that will feel different for different people and that's fine that's like yeah. a scale right so some people will still be doing forest school but they will be doing it in a kind of like everybody gather around we're gonna go and look for birds now and what we're gonna do is look for birds and i've got this like tick sheet here and we're gonna look so that might be an example of authority like mm-hmm. you are leading an activity it's forest it's like school. didactic yes that kind of but didactic with like because you can't escape the fact that you carry authority because mm-hmm. you're a grown-up so yeah. um or just like laying down of rules or even if your kind of rules are that you want to create a really fair and equitable learning community Mm. but you are the authority laying down those things so it may if you could just set communism up right yeah (laughs) do you know what i mean so it's like questioning through because the book is all about language and so and language is so powerful and the way that you can phrase things and whether you're doing things in a manipulative way or because we spoke of that as well about oh, yeah. um, you know some of the things that we say to help children sometimes especially if they're quite a, like a new thing to us mm. you think oh god am I being really manipulative here and you might feel that with this it just might feel really alien to you that you're doing it and you're and it's not your natural speech so it's not just coming out spontaneously it's like a oh this might yeah. feel really false and like I'm using a weird script but that's kind of your problem. Like well, I realised that. Uh, so I, this is a reflection yeah. I had with you yesterday because we had talked about a thing and a way to talk to someone, and and um, you had shared it with me, and yeah. I had gone, you know, I had taken yeah. it on board, and the same similar situation arose, and I tried yeah. it. It's probably something for another podcast. Yeah. Um, I tried it, and it worked, and it worked scarily well, mm-hmm. and that freaked me out. Yeah. I didn't like it. Yeah. And then I was thinking about this since. And I realised that I think that is almost full circle from having left teaching. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I found was like a journey that I needed to go on inside forest school was um, having been a teacher and all the authority things that come with being a teacher. When you start doing forest school, when I started doing forest school, it was like doing school Mm -hmm. outside in that when I asked something, it was done Mm. because I have the authority. And then it started to be this weird kind of thing of like, oh, not all the children. No, you know, one one boy didn't do mm. the thing that I asked. Well, that one. And then, you know, in a couple of months, you go, do I really mind if those don't? Exactly. No, maybe I don't. And it got to the point oh. where someone doing what I asked freaked me the fuck out. Yeah, yeah. Right? So that's such a weird yeah. journey to have but gone on. But you are on. judged in teaching about how much authority you have. And whatever... And authority doesn't necessarily mean, like, shouting and having, like, that no, kind no, of... No, no, But, you know, that... But people would talk about, like, teaching cells. of like, oh, even a really softly spoken teacher can have, like, a lot of authority. And that's a good thing. Mm. Whereas if you're looking at, like, a holistic learning community of any kind, it doesn't necessarily have to be for a school, then those... I think, in my mind, I'm kind of travelling on this journey where those lines are just blurred. And then there is a... Would it change if you reframed it as power dynamic? Yeah. If you said yeah. a, te- a quiet teacher can still have a very um, high-low power dynamic yeah, with their Yeah, class. or it still creates a really strong hierarchy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. they still... Everyone really knows that they're at the top of the tree and everyone else, and they're all at the bottom, you know. And, like, that... Fuck. 
do you know what I mean though that's what it is that's yeah, the journey yeah. isn't it and so there's a difference between just not giving a shit and being dangerous and just letting the kids do what the heck they want hmm. um, and being reckless and having no authority in that way hmm. but there is a model if I could describe it as like an ideal thing it's like you are you are the adult you can't escape from that and mm-hmm. you and you accept all the benefits that brings to the community in terms of making creating a safe space where you know you that the kids know and you know that you're on it you're observant you can step in to keep people safe in whether that's emotionally or physically yeah. because you have more access to episodic memory you have more strength in your body you have more episodic yeah. memories yes that's you just have one more of the experience, things isn't it? you have more problem solving skills because you've been alive longer and therefore you can use all of those great benefits and we feel grateful for those and the group is grateful for those because you can step in if needed mm. to give those gifts to the group to keep everybody safe and relaxed and to facilitate a space yeah. which is the best it can be um but you are as much as apart from that mm. you are one of the learners you are a member of the community and actually your ideas if it's just an idea rather than a safety issue i'm including again emotional safety in that um if it's not anything to do with a safety idea then your idea holds as much weight as the three-year-old's idea because why because why not like yeah if you're all agreed about the reason you're there Mm. which i think we are and and that your motivation is as important as the the learner's motivation that's where i would see because your motivation could be that uh, you're going to get chewed out by SLT, mm-hmm. or your motivation might be to cover the curriculum, or mm-hmm. to you know that this thing's in season. But the fact that something is interesting to someone else is as valid yeah. as a reason for, mo- for as a motivation as your your thing is. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Just because mm-hmm. yours has got a bit of paperwork behind it yeah yeah or a you know yeah it's and but that is really tough yeah that is really tough and that is one where like we said reflecting back on yourself and what your role is and whether you are the important bit and when you are the important bit or how important you are all the time is but i think it's it's really really hard work and that's what and when you realise that, then it makes you have less of that guilt feeling of like, what am I doing? I'm not doing anything. And mm. I think I could only come to this realisation, A, at this point of doing Forest School for this long, mm-hmm. and B, after reading as much as we read yeah. and having that backup. Because if I just walked in week one of Forest School and went, actually, I'm not going to tell you what to do because I'm just like, blah, blah, blah. Then that yeah, is kind of a cop-out. Because it's just surface understanding. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Then that, I think that is when dangerous things happen. Because mm. I think that you can go, you can step in straight away and go, Forest School is child-led, so I'm actually not going to like tell them, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And you haven't got the experience and... Sorry, this sounds really big-headed. This sounds like... No, no. Do you know I, what I mean? I, I it's do like know what you a, mean. It's like that they, they would appear the same. Yes. Two practitioners yeah. both not stepping into a situation, but one not stepping in because they have you know, done six weeks of Forest School, they know mm. that it's child-led. And one going, um, you know, I understand all the processes that are going on and I'm actually monitoring about eight different things right now and I'm seeing, but they look the same, yeah. but the outcome isn't the same. Yeah. One thing that really helps me is, like you say, with reading all this stuff, quite often by the time I've thought it through, the situation's gone. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just there going like, 
oh, okay, so they've done that and they've done that and then the kids were like, oh, how should like, I respond to that? How should, oh, the moment's like, yeah, I completely know what you mean. Yeah. I was thinking about it and going, okay, but my authority is here and maybe if I, but I'm standing on the higher ground, but then you've, but yeah. How can I phrase that in a declarative way? Oh, don't need to because it's, it's gone. And that is something that's definitely dawned on me recently. It's just like, just shut up. Just yeah. don't say anything. And that is facilitating the time though, isn't it? Yeah. That's not shut up because... For me. I mean, I'm telling myself to shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's kids. not us. Set... <laughs> I'm not telling the kids to shut up. <laughs> shut up, what I think. Yeah. <laughs> Shush, stand still. Everybody stand yeah. still. Um, yeah, it's, it is a really good book. It's a really bare bones book. It's quick to read. Quick to read and very applicable. Oh, say that word for me. Applicable. There we go. Applicable. 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 <laughs> Do no hand gestures. Making rude hand gestures at me. Um, straight away. Like you could read it one or... Because the chapters are kind of discreet. They link. Mm. But you could just read the bit about eye contact and go, cool, eye contact's going to be my focus yep. for another couple of days. Yep, yep, and, yep. and put it in straight away. And it's a good one for people who haven't got lush Parisian time to reflect and... Parisian time? You know, just like a... Oh, just sit around. Ah, I yeah, yeah. yeah. But it is also... I would put it on my list of absolute must books of like, you know, you're doing your school training or... Yeah, any trainers. Level would, three people. I would... Students know, or teachers. Yeah, just read it. Read it. Read it. Read it because it, and it, and it would allow you to do... One of the things that I think a lot of people are trying to do is bring a forest school ethos to other scenarios mm. and I think this book would help you unpick what is in your forest school mm -hmm. ethos to then realise what you want to take forward. Yes. We made it! Did it! Well, we did it! Did it record? Mine recorded! So did mine! Yeah! Bye guys! Bye! If you like this podcast and want to support more episodes you can donate through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash children of the forest to show your support for the Forest School podcast.